0: You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome in to the fifth season of the Locked On Pacers podcast. That is our, that is our fifth NBA season. My name is Adam Friedman as Auden Coast's wonderful podcast and joining me on the other line looks like his mic might still be muted. Mr. Tony East from Forbes.com. In the West, I of not news. He's laughing there, too, because he's got some hot takes. as the Pacers fall, to the Hornets 123-122 in the season opener.
1: Adam just saved me from first game of the season embarrassment with a muted mic. But that would have been fitting after that Pacers performance to start off the podcast extremely poorly. Uh, well, I guess the Pacers started off pretty well. But maybe uh, about three quarters of the way through this podcast, I will stumble and accidentally mute my mic, Adam.
0: Yeah, so on today's show, we're going to obviously break down the Pacers' first game of the season. We'll have some overreactions to end this show. uh, To kind of become a yearly tradition of ours to overreact to the first game. Usually we're... What about half right about our reactions? Half wrong, Uh, wrong. not all in the wrong,
1: half right, but not too much less.
0: (laughs) Not too much, but uh, I think the the first place to start in this game is something positive. I'm gonna go with oh, I I
1: did not want to do that, but that's fine.
0: I think we should, um, because this was probably like the most exciting debut of a player since like I think Miles Turner in 2015 when he stepped in the starting lineup and played pretty well, at least in like most anticipated debut of a player, I think, uh, in a long time for the Pacers, just because. Uh, we weren't sure what he could do. And that's Chris Duarte, who scored 27 points, 6 of 9 from 3. Uh, was, I mean, he was incredible. I think it's the only way to put that. I mean, he. I think he, maybe in the fourth quarter, we a tiny bit of a liability, but most of the game he was what kind of propelled the team at least early on in their big lead.
1: Can I share with you, Adam, a stat that I tweeted during the game? You may have already seen this.
0: I probably but have, but go ahead. Mostly
1: for the listeners. Okay, let's go back to the Pritchard era to to really... Hammer home how big Chris Duarte's first ever NBA game was. <laughs> TJ okay, so. Lee's rookie year, his career, her his best scoring night as a rookie was 17 points. Aaron Holiday's best scoring night as a rookie was 19 points. Goga's best scoring night as a rookie was 13 points. Duarte had 16 at halftime of his first ever game. I get that his role was bigger. He finished with 27, though he was head and shoulders above any rookie we've seen in the Pritchard era in terms of impact. In one game, he looked very comfortable. Of course, you know, if he shoots that well from three every game, he's going to be like an MVP candidate. That's not going to happen, but he was ridiculously good. He looked very comfortable. He fit in well playing off of the Pacers' best players in that starting 5. It was an extremely promising debut and 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 the big it, I think it's the biggest takeaway from the game you know, you don't want to get too granular with one game, but with the one guy who's going to be on your team for the next half decade, barring a trade, I mean, to see him perform that well in his again his first ever NBA
0: game ever was so impressive. Yeah, he came off very unrookie like. I mean, he was just like they. Well, there was one play I try to remember what it was. They fed him on the out of bounds play. They were kind of feeding him in ways that you don't do a rookie. I mean, he was like. They let him have some some leeway where he could like dribble into kind of like that uh, that bank kind of jumper from ten feet that he's really good at. Like it was just like they just trusted him in a way I don't think most teams ever could trust a rookie in that even in their first game. No matter how good they are, we don't know if this is going to be like. Obviously, he won't be you know sixty six percent three point shooter like, like like you said, but there is just a an, an air about him that makes me feel like he's definitely going to be an NBA player. And what I'm really excited by was if you look at the top three scores for the Pacers, Brogdon, Sabonis and him, they combined for, I think, if I did my math right, 88 points. I mean, imagine when you throw in Kara and warren to a lineup with those five guys. I mean, that that could be 120 points from a starting lineup. I mean, that's that could be crazy.
1: Yeah, he, that, he supported those two, Brogdon and Sabonis, who combined for 61 on their own very well, which was extremely impressive. And his defense was, was, was pretty good, too. It wasn't awesome. You know, I, I would rate it as average. He had a few... Yeah. rebounding blunders especially a very important one at the end of the game uh but his defense was still good at times which was which was good I mean he's a great fit with the starting five in his current role and he showed why in the first game and I, you know we saw in the preseason that he had one great game against the Cavs and one not so good one and I say that to say I'm not going to expect this from him every day and I've admittedly maybe been too much beating this in that I don't think rookies ever are good in their first year in the NBA but Duarte certainly was very good in his first game and if he can continue to play like this I mean, the Pacers are going to have to start him every game, and they're going to have to continue to find a way to make him very involved because he was excellent.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now let's get 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 to some bad because this is – it was not the Pacers' best game. It, it was, to me, reminiscent of a lot of last year in that way yes. in some ways. You now, stole my
1: story of the game moment there.
0: Yeah. So here's the thing I, I, I would say. In that first half, they they exceeded even the best they were going to be, right? So you knew at some point are three portions wasn't going to be – I think they were 10 of 19 at the half like 52% from three, like that's not going to, they're not going to do that in a full game. So you knew they're going to come back to earth, but man, they came crashing really hard in that third quarter, Uh, gave up basically a 23 point lead in that third quarter. And uh, that third quarter is why they lost this game. And it was like, it's frankly, just like reminiscent of last year's team and a reason why they not having a kind of go-to score is really starting to bite them in the butt right now.
1: That's kind of exactly how I wanted to talk about that third quarter is it was so reminiscent of last year, both in the fact that it was in the third quarter, you know, the third and fourth quarter where the Pacers bad to last year. And the Pacers did pick it up in the fourth. They they did almost walk away with the win. We'll talk more about all that. But, you know, I, I wrote down the timing, Adam, because we talked about this with Bjorken all the time. There was always every every game. There was one six minute stretch where the Pacers were just terrible, 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 terrible. And it cost them the game all the time. And so on Monday, we talked about that. How can Carlisle prevent that from happening? Well, in game one, he didn't prevent that from happening. 8.48 to go in the third quarter. The Pacers were winning by 21. They were up 21 points. 2.46 to go in the same quarter. They're down by three. And then they win the game the rest of the way from that 2.46 point on. But it didn't matter. That six-minute stretch. 26 minute, s- right? six minute run, right? That six-minute Yeah, 24-0 run for Charlotte. Pacers couldn't score. They went away from... You know, getting the ball to Sabonis in the deep post, where he was dominating in the first half. He even said after the game when I asked him about that that he needs to be more vocal on the court and say, "Guys, give me the ball down here." This was working in the first half. They were they were not as aggressive. Carlisle noted that as a problem. Brogdon also you know kind of noted that and and he noted their defensive execution, especially in transition, wasn't as good. A lot went wrong at the same time, and that that just can't happen. Like if they were so good in the other three quarters, they looked like the far superior team for forty two minutes of this game and then they were just like a, a high school team for the other six minutes and they lose and it, it was so reminiscent of last year and it was so painful it was such a a terrible way to lose your first game of the season because we could be talking about a lot of the positives that came out of this game but you can't when when it's overshadowed by just an an unbelievably bad six minute stretch
0: so how much do you think of the the eight-man rotation contributed to that I mean I, I know they they weren't gonna go super deep but the fact that they only went with eight players. I mean, you gotta think they were a little bit tired. I mean, you could see it, they moved the ball really, really well in the first half, passing it around, moving it around like, you know, four or five touches each possession from some, from each player. Like, you know, they passed it around to him. and then it felt like they just got stagnant, right? They were settling for threes that were kind of half open. They weren't trying to penetrate as much. I mean, it's a lot of like bad looking plays. Like there was one point where like McConnell tried to hit a three to get him out of the rut, and I'm, like that's just like they Charlotte would love you to take that shot. They're just begging you to take those kind of shots. And I- it felt like there was just like a little bit of like exhaustion, but then they got it back in the fourth quarter. So I'm not sure it played that much into it. When I, now that I talked yeah, about
1: first of all, on the rotation in general, Carlisle said after the game, he wasn't planning on going eight. It just kind of happened like flow of the game kind of stuff. And he thinks he'll play more guys on Friday. We'll see if he follows through with that, you know, early feeling out a coach and how much you can trust what he says. But yeah, you know, I, I don't know how much that was a factor because they picked it up so much in the fourth quarter. To me, when I was watching, it was that thing I just said about they just went away from Sabonis so much. Like he was still screening a lot, but Brogdon and Lamb and and we gotta talk about Lamb at some point today. Uh, but Brogdon and Lamb and McConnell took that three and Tory Craig, I think, took two threes. Like they just didn't they settled a little bit, and then those misses lead to transition for the Hornets, and they're a really good transition team. They capitalized on it. And, you know, when you when you're not making shots, it makes defense harder. It all just kept snowballing and snowballing and snowballing. And they couldn't get out of it. They just they went away from what was working and they, they finally got out of it eventually. They they got the lead back in the fourth, but you, you shouldn't ever win a game and you give up twenty four consecutive points to the other team and they found out the hard way.
0: Yeah. I feel like what does either O'Shea slash Goga have to do when Turner has three fouls and Duarte goes out with an injury in that second quarter to basically get get in the rotation, right? That just I seemed mean, really right. Like I mean, you could say if everybody... Isaiah. Yeah, we wouldn't have anybody, really. But, I mean, I guess those two, to me, are probably the next two guys up. Um, just because, you know, you can make a case of if everybody was, like, fine, there was no injuries, there was no foul trouble. That, yeah, sure, but, like, Turner had foul trouble. Oh, how much time was it? I think it was, like, eight minutes left in, in, in that in that first quarter. He went out. Maybe it was less than that. And then you had, you know, Duarte that basically for about four or five minutes in the second quarter as well. That should have been a time to go to somebody else besides those eight guys. I mean, um, yeah, you could see at the end of the game they got the energy back. But it was, I don't know, it just felt like that was some of that was exhausting. On offense? Sometimes, yeah, but we saw some of that last year too, right? The the team felt like when they had so many injuries, they would stack up. They'd be exhausted with their second units, wouldn't be able to hold. And he had some of the same issues, I think, just because of that.
1: A hundred percent agree. I would have gone more guys myself. I've been an advocate for playing O'Shea for weeks and weeks and weeks. So <laughs> I'm not going to hammer that to death after one game because he did say he'll expand the rotation a little bit, but especially even... Okay, you're in this atrocious fourth quarter stretch where you have admitted and the team has admitted defense is a large part of the problem, along with being somewhat flat. Like, get your energy big in there. Like, even if you don't think Isaiah deserves rotation minutes right now, that's why you go with the guys. Give him two minutes. Just let him run around like a crazy rookie for two minutes. Put a spark in your team. I would have done that myself. I don't want to harp on, on the rotation too much because I don't think that was why they lost. But, you know, it's certainly a, a, something to talk about that after a preseason where he was experimenting and playing a ton of guys, he goes to eight in the first game. It's just, just something to talk about.
0: Yeah. All right, so here's how I want to do the next part of the show. I, I've got some overreactions. that I don't think you have that many because you don't necessarily like to overreact, but they'll tie into the game, and I want you to sort of we'll play off them. Um, but first, let's take a quick break. Because today's Locked On Pacers podcast is brought to you by McDonald's, who's proudly serving their communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect, a place where classmates can meet up for a study group, Knowing they have dependable Wi-Fi and, and an endless supplies of French fries and McFlurries. Win or lose, it's the place where your teammates, competitors, the home team, or the waiting can come to recharge. It's a place you can always look forward to stopping on a long road trip to west your, rest your legs and to refuel. I know for me, McDonald's is a great place I stop on travels, get a diet coke, get, you know, refill some fries, whatever it is. It's like my number one stop right before you head for a long road trip. McDonald's is great, and that's why you should try it. Today, I want to give a big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. As they say McDonald's, I'm loving it. All right, you said you want to talk about Jeremy Lamb. My first overreaction to Jeremy Lamb is, well, maybe it's an overreaction. He's still just bad at defense.
1: Yeah, he was was bad at offense in this game
0: too, yes. right? Like I'll give a break on that. Like I figured at some point his shooting will come back, but man, he was a liability on defense the same way he was last year, frankly.
1: Well, but 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 even last year we harped on this a lot. Like part of the thesis with him is last year when he couldn't get to his spots as much, his defense was so bad that he had to be an insanely good three point shooter to make up for that and, and be a You know, even a neutral last year, right? So this year, his defense is just as bad. He can get to his spot still, so he has a better chance to make up for that liability. But he didn't even get close in this game. He was one for nine. He only made one three out of six. And yeah, he went back to the same. We saw immediately the same Jeremy Lamb stuff. That was the reason that he was in trade rumors this offseason, that we talked about him not being in the rotation, and we talked about a fully healthy Pacers team. We both put him behind Edmund Sumner when we did that exercise, right? And then in this game, he played a lot, and there are injuries in front of him. I get why he played. His preseason was okay. Rick Carlisle very clearly trusts him. He closed the game. We, I mean, that's yeah. not part of this overreaction exercise, but that was just no, it, it's fine. flummoxing to me. Um, but yeah, he he was not very good. Uh, he was terrible defensively, terrible in the glass like he was last year. He has to be better in those two categories if he wants to play more. And remember, like, part of the reason, I don't, I don't know how much of this they're doing. But remember, J. Michael reported that part of the reason they want to play him more is to get his trade value up. Games like this will not do that. So one of my overreactions is going to be about him, and that's that there's a chance when Karis is back that he is out of the rotation still, even with someone off the team, because he did not help them win in this game. Carlisle, again, clearly likes him to some degree, and so maybe he'll play as the backup to like 15 minutes or something. But... If he plays like that, I, I can't imagine him being in the rotation for a super long time this season.
0: Yeah, to not completely harp him too much. He did at the end of the game have one nice play. He missed that three point shot and he got back really fast and actually stripped. Yeah, the- he
1: stripped um
0: Yeah, I forget who uh, was Kelly Ubran under the basket. Yeah. Yeah. So he he did have one nice defensive play. I didn't mark that. I'm like, wow, that's a that's a that's the kind of play they won the game. You pointed, oh wow, he actually, you know, missed a shot, hustled back, and made a decent play. But you know yeah. what
1: he did on the very next possession? Uh, I, I don't remember now. a terrible closeout, and then he got blown by, and then there was a foul. Okay, so I never, you know,
0: <laughs> I, I just that that one stuck out because it was so out of the ordinary. Usually he swipes yeah. and hits the guy, but I think he actually timed it right. Um, do you remember a reaction? You want to do? You want me to keep throwing some more because I can time. Keep it. going. Okay, so my other overreaction, and let me pull up the number to make sure I have it correct. Uh, are the Pacers better at rebounding? Are they low key kind of good now? And most of that is that as part of that, Torrey Craig, who had eight rebounds, and I thought was pulled some like, you know, tough in traffic rebounds. They had a couple good offensive rebounds. Like, did did Carlisle, you know, harping it or what? Or are they going to be a better rebounding team this year? Because last year, that was one of their biggest weaknesses with where they just could not grab rebounds.
1: Torrey Craig took four shots. That is perfect. Mwah. Perfect yeah, that, number. Enough,
0: he was like, he was really good tonight. I was really impressed by him, frankly.
1: Yeah, I, well, yeah, you know, I might get to him for an overreaction. But yeah, I think, you know, we we talked about this a little bit and I brought up Lloyd Pierce's comments to me earlier in camp a few too many times in this show, but one of the things he liked about Torrey Craig when he coached him on the Team USA select team or when he was with Team USA in Vegas was beyond the defense, he was a good rebounder, right? And Duarte as well is a good rebounder for a guard. He had five in this game, uh, which was impressive from him. Justin Holiday had six, right? Like a big problem for the Pacers last year on the glass was their backcourt, right? And Turner's never been like the best rebounder at his position, but the, the, beyond their centers being net, slightly above average last year on the glass they had like the worst rebounding backcourt in the league craig was great on the glass in this one duarte was solid justin holiday was solid so i think they'll be a better rebounding team this year and adam a show i did solo without you last week i brought up their preseason stats because they were sixth after three preseason games in rebounds uh in the preseason so there's clearly more of an emphasis on that And you can even see on offensive possessions they crash the offensive glass a little harder i will say though they did kind of get punked in this game by the Hornets, who got a lot of offensive rebounds. Mason Plumlee and PJ yeah. Washington, specifically. So, well, that was like I, one
0: possession too, where they gave up like four. Remember the, start yeah. of the third quarter, they had like a so that there's was, there was kind of a padding of stats there if they're all at yeah. once.
1: So they won the rebounding battle, and I agree with you that both from personnel and emphasis, they will be a better rebounding team this year. So that is, I think, that's a, a good overreaction. But they also had uh, some troublesome moments in this game on the glass. So yeah you know, finding that bouncer at the season will be important
0: yeah i i just was just so impressed with craig i mean i i thought he one, i agree he did a decent job guarding hayward for the best he could do like he, he you know I wasn't like perfect but he, he did the best he could he was the basically the pacers go-to defender on the best player it seemed like he made clutch free throws that if they won the game and reg- like you know not the foul down the game that he would have basically hit the game winning free throws i mean that's a guy who's not a great free throw shooter that's that was pretty clutch and he just he just did a couple of pulled out that i was like oh this is why they got this guy who's six seven, long, darn big body because he can fight in for those rebounds. Or he had a couple, even more where he tipped him back out with guys on the offensive end. Like yep. it was just, it was something we hadn't really seen from that spot. One, because we didn't see Warren last year at all. And two, could, that's not what McDermott was good at, right? McDermott was not that kind of rebound when he played the small forward spot. He really, either Justin Holiday. So like that's that's I was just in, impressed by him. I thought he was like. Maybe it's another reaction, but I just thought he had a really good night. And now I, I kind of see now why the Pacers got him because he does a lot of the, the other non-scoring stuff pretty well.
1: Yeah, he, he's in my notes a few times in this game, but uh, good passing and rebounding earlier was the first note I had from him. The rebounding, uh, a little expected given what we've heard from coaches and what we've seen from him in games. But the passing was good because he wasn't taking as many shots. Like I said, four is the perfect amount for him. And this is a, a subtle praise of him, um, but he made his first three, right? And a lot of guys, when they make not their right. first shot, have that little like, okay, yeah, I got it, you know. And he missed the next three shots, and he's like, okay, I'm done. You know, he 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 realized it wasn't his night after making that first three and played within the team concept very well. So yeah, he was definitely, especially compared to his preseason play, impressive in this game. And I agree with you that that uh, he could be a big factor in them being an actually decent rebounding team this season, which is not something we've seen from the Pacers since we've been doing this show, honestly.
0: Yeah um all right i got i got an, another one for you
1: okay keep them rolling
0: um <laughs> i only have one like actually good one so we'll, we'll get to yours on the first part of the next segment then okay. but this one is uh sabonis good three-point shooter
1: oh man i knew you're gonna bring this up i because... know I, I
0: had four of six i think he does last year in the first game too although his shot looked better just just the way he shot it looked a little bit cleaner he didn't Bank in any three. I think he switched them all from what I remember, at least three of them. Yeah, he bank to... threes
1: changed this game, by the way. The Hornets, Mad, too yeah. Of
0: those. Yeah, but like Sabonis, like the bank three, I always feel like is kind of lucky in some ways, right? Like, I don't know, yes. you can like try to bank a three. Maybe Lamella Ball can. I, I wouldn't doubt him to be able to do that, but like <laughs> from the center, especially. But Sabonis just like had a couple of clean threes. Uh, and it also, his three point shooting basically got them back in the game. They were down eight, I think, right? They were down eight with or 10 points with six minutes up he had a big three to go in a timeout and then he had a big three. yeah we had to go into the timeout and then he had a big that's three right, to right. put the team up one um yeah i mean his shooting seems like an actual like threat as of right now i mean we'll see if it holds but he does seem to have like a cleaner i mean we, we've seen it in like those practice videos they show right where you watch him like playing against scrubs he just drains three after three well we saw that in the game which i was impressed by i mean and him overall was impressive
1: you know Miel, i always be believe it when i see it with Guys going from not good shooters to good shooters, but four four for six is good. Hang on, let me get to it. (laughs) Being four for six is good. His form is slightly, slightly different. It's just faster, I think he said, when I asked him about that specifically, which is still an improvement. And he said after the game today, because Scott Agnes asked him about hitting four threes. That's not something Sabonis typically does. I don't know if he did it a single time last year. You know, pull that up while I'm talking, but he said that Carlisle talks to him and Turner a lot about like, get those threes up, you know, get those threes up, work on your three. Correct. He did not hit four threes a single time last season, right? So this is his first time hitting four threes in the last two years for the Pacers. So it's an emphasis from the coaching staff to tell him to take more. He said he worked on it this offseason as a way to to develop his game, and it was the clear, like, next progression for him offensively. So I think it's possible that he's a better three-point shooter this season. I'm still not sure where he'll land on that scale, but definitely an encouraging start in that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought... They also did a really nice job with him. Uh, they fed him in the post early, and he just feasted on Plumley for a yep. while. They clearly had decided that was their most efficient, best offensive play to start the game. And they went to it, like, over and over again the entire first half. He was really he was really good tonight. I mean, he was— He was um, excellent. Fantastic. Yeah, like, I, I don't know yet whether—that's why I'm making an overreaction, like, how much his offense has improved, or just he's maybe just going to be, like, slightly—like, he's always been a guy who can, like, go 9 of 11 and a half. Like, that's, he's always been that player. Was he even consistent all year, kind of at that high percentage? But I did feel like he's made a slight jump offensive. Like it's just a slight increase from last year, which already was a jump the year before. Like just feel like he's getting a little bit better at offense each year. We see him.
1: Yeah, that would be huge for him to get even better at offense. And, you know, it's certainly uh, encouraging when you start off with with 33 and 15. I will say two assists from him only is interesting, but I don't, uh, he's not in the situations as much as he was last year. Like we've talked about how a lot of his assists are handoffs and like little pitches and stuff and two-man game and there's a lot less of that with Carlisle system yeah. so the early indications are that his assists could go way down maybe that's one of my overreactions is that Sabonis assist numbers will go way down but his scoring opportunities are, are good and good for him and he was awesome on the glass again so yeah he, he was excellent
0: I wonder if some of that is – he just was such a high turnover guy last year Whether they decided maybe it's better not to put the ball in as much. Maybe instead of just uh, – you know,
1: Well, speaking of high turnovers, he had six of them in this game. So Yeah,
0: well, that's what I mean. But, like, <laughs> last – I mean, if he was passing the ball the way he passed it last year, he might have had eight or ten because he was a really yeah. high turnover guy when it came to passing last year, I thought. Right. Um, all right, let's do this. Let's take uh, another break, and then we'll go to one of your reactions and a couple more thoughts of reactions and whatnot that I have. But first – Today's Locked on Pacers podcast is also brought to you by Calm. Do you want to know what makes LeBron James, King James, sleep? That's right. Sleep is his superpower. Calm is the number one app for sleep and meditation and has teamed up with LeBron James to help activate the power of sleep. When it comes to athletes, we tend to focus on physical fitness, but there's another side of the game, and that's just as important, and it's mental fitness. Calm, the number one sleep app for meditation, and LeBron James can tell you about why mental fitness is just as good as physical fitness. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body. You have to be a world champion and learn how to train it. Calm can keep your brain so you sleep better, reduce stress, and perform your best just like King James. For LeBron, sleep is a critical part of his mental fitness routine. So if you head to Calm.com, so that's NBA for a limited time 40% off a Calm premium subscription. That's Calm.com slash L O C K E D O N M B A for a 40% discount on the Calm Premium subscription. Unlock content to help your focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash on M B A. That's calm.com slash lockdown M B A. And we're also brought to you by our wonderful friends over at Sweatblock. For a few weeks now, we've been talking about Sweatblock and how these wipes can help you stop sweating for seven days. And it seems like people are listening because we've got a lot of people chiming in about who tried SweatBlock with our locked on code. We have a story here about a high school teacher. When he pet out by fourth period, he hears the snickers and whispers from his students. So he started bringing a second shirt to change in between classes. Then he heard about SweatBlock on our program. He tried it and now hooked. No more stickering, no more second shirt. We heard from a soccer player who has another success story. He's an avid player and he heard us talking about sweat block and thought it was too good to be true. But he was always the wettest guy after practicing games, like soaking wet. So he thought he'd give sweat block a shot. He tried on his pits. The next practice in his pits were dry while everything else was wet. Guess he should have tried on other parts of his body. <laughs> he says he didn't have to reapply for nine days. Now he's a true believer. There you go. Locked on listeners loving sweat block, which can stop excessive sweating for seven days. If doctor created, doctor recommended, dry shirt guaranteed. No more armpits, chest, back, feet, hands. Use it anywhere that sweats, and you can deal with your excessive sweating. Right now, get 20% off when you go to sweatblock.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, or you can find Sweatblock at Amazon and CBS. All right, Tony, what's uh, your one overreaction since you don't like to to have a lot of these?
1: Yeah, I'm not good at these. I am admittedly not good at these. Okay, Malcolm Brogdon is the hurdle here, but my overreaction is Chris Duarte is already... The best pull-up three-point shooter on the Indiana
0: Pacers. Yeah. I mean, I think...
1: Brogdon's pretty it, good at them. I don't want to be... like, better was, than by Brogdon. By the way, Brogdon, once again, awesome in the clutch. Like, this is why he makes yeah. his money. He was not good for a lot of the game, and then when it mattered, he was fantastic. But anyway... He had
0: 13 points in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, the thing about Brogdon, he, he's got a pull-up three, but... The, most of his game is never like a super clean because he kind of shoots at this sort of weird angle. or like Chris Duarte just has this like straight up like pull back, step back, pull it like three, right? He did it, uh, I think, to Ubre on one of those plays when they were coming back. Like he can just like, Duarte can just like pull it from anywhere if it feels like and drain that three and it looks really clean. Now, Brogdon's probably as good as him on those kind of shots, but Duarte's definitely looks better when he takes them. Here's the, the two differences
1: a lot of Brogdon's pull up threes are one dribble. The ones that he does do multiple dribbles even, and again, he was good at them in the fourth quarter of this game, he goes kind of in a straight line, right? He'll kind of veer around a screen, but it's like he goes straight at the three-point line, whereas Duarte, there's a lot of side-to-side, and he's pulling back and away from guys and around guys, and they're harder shots, so maybe don't go to them all the time, but they're valuable to be good at, right? Like, guys who are good at them are really hard to guard because you have to be up in their face so far from the basket, and yes... It's one game. We are massively overreacting. That is the point of this podcast. There's a chance Chris Tuarte goes 0 for 6 against the Wizards on Friday, and then I'll never talk about him being a good three-point three shooter again for a while. But, I mean, this, the signs are there, even from preseason, that that's a shot that he has, and that's a very valuable shot to have. It's part of the reason he was incredible in the Pacers' first game of the season. So I think that's something he can go to often. If the Pacers are a little stagnant, just, just give him a shot at it. You know, we know he can do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. All right, you want another one of my overreactions? Go for it. Uh, this is kind of a two full one, but one is Sabonis <laughs> starting to get superstar kind of calls uh, on the free throw line, Ooh. and what I mean by that. Although to be honest, it kind of went away after the first quarter, so that was made as the first reaction when I wrote it down. Uh, but overall, the team took twenty fourth free throws, slightly more than last year. It felt like they were doing a little better job in general. Are they going to be a higher free throw shooting team? I, I'm I'm thinking that could be some things, to, some signs I could tell that. Getting out free-throwed by the Hornets is
1: is embarrassing. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, they, they Pacers have just since Pritchard took over, basically. And I, I kind of use that era loosely because that's kind of when we started doing this podcast, too. So I've been more lasered in on stats in that era than other eras of the Pacers in my life. Too many words to say that for a while now, they've been just not good at getting to the free-throw line. Outside of Vic, they haven't had a guy who's awesome at it. Brogdon got up nine in this game. So he's been pretty good at it, but yes, that'd be the biggest step for Sabonis, like possible, right? That would make him so much more deadly, and he was great at it in the first quarter. He had ten. What do he have? Ten of their first twelve points, or something yeah. like that. I mean, but they couldn't stop team. him, so they kept fouling him. So if he can get to that level where he's getting six or seven free throws every game, that's huge for yeah. how hard he is to guard and how efficient the Pacers' offense can be.
0: Yeah, the team overall took 24, which last year they averaged 20. year before, about 19. Uh, 24 they were, is still like
1: bottom 10, though,
0: I believe. I'll I'm check. sure it is, but I'm. Uh, we're talking about that base from last year, just them being better than last year, frankly. Yes. Um, no, and, and I think in the first half, and a lot of this was like, in the first half, they did such a good job of everything, but they got to the line, I think, I want to say they got to the line 16 times in the first half uh, or close to that number. So they risk when... When their offense is flowing, there's clearly some uh, some, some like common themes, and one of them is just being able to move the ball around and get to the line, and that's something they just didn't do well in that third quarter especially. But I, I do wonder if they're going to be more focused on the rebound, particularly, and the free throw and trying to get the free throw line than they were last year at least.
1: Extremely wrong about free throws, by the way. Uh, last year, 24 would have gotten you fifth in the whole league.
0: So, oh, I, I thought you were saying is, I was yeah. extremely wrong, so I now I feel better. No,
1: I am extremely wrong. I, I the, know I feel I, better, but... They finished 26th last year at 20.7, but the gap between, like, 8th was the Nets at 22.5. Like, the gap isn't that huge. That said, that's still a lot of free points. Yeah, I mean...
0: Free throws a game. Yeah, I mean, if it's three extra points, that's probably the difference between 34 wins and 40 wins, or maybe not that yes. much, but 38, yep. something like that. Yeah, I mean, It's probably three or, three or four points per game is an extra three wins, at least.
1: Yeah, right I now. can't really overact to Jeremy Lamb because we already have talked about him, so uh, this maybe isn't an overreaction, um, but I think that the Pacers will be a good end-of-game team. Uh, I need to make it an overreaction. They'll be a really great end-of-game team. They're going to be one of the best end-of-game teams in the league. Um, I think they'll be a good end-of-game team based on this performance. It's one performance overreacting. I understand that conclusions are bad from one game, but... They played very well for the last five minutes. They were losing when the five minute mark actually crossed. They took the lead several times in that stretch. They did blow it. Um, some some weird fouls in the last ten seconds of this game, but
0: yeah, that, um, that was not a foul on Tory Craig. Uh, no, Torrey Craig, Craig got like,
1: extremely lucky.
0: Yeah, and then they kind of. The Pacers I mean, were a rebound
1: away from winning this game. They had it. They they, yeah. they really had it. But so, that's what it, to say. Like they defended the Hornets. What they drew up when they were up one with 10 seconds left pretty well. And then they just botched the rebound and fouled and then they were losing. And then they, they called the the Björkran play kind of where Sabonis catches it backing down. It's and, better and, look and
0: than Björkran's usually, but yeah, fakes.
1: but yeah, it was, you know, the first couple times that Bjorkren got success from it, but um, Sabonis got a decent looking 11 footer and missed it. But the, the part of the reason I'm, I'm kind of bullish on their end of game beyond that. It went kind of well is Carlisle comes up to the stand. And first of all, he's the first coach that I've covered that does this. He does opening comments. He doesn't, like, before questions even come, he, he talks about things that he's kind of expecting us to want to know about. And he talked about the end of the game play, and he said, that's on me. Like, if we don't score on a play that I call, that's my fault, right? It's not on them. That's my fault. And Sabonis was very close to making it. But the fact that he has that level of accountability and, like, that attention to detail of, of clutch moments and X's and O's I think bodes well for the Pacers in clutch situations this season. And we heard the in the NBA GM survey, all these coaches talking about, you know, and praising his tactical skills. And you know, we've kind of known this stuff, but just to see it for the first time, I, I have more faith than I did before the game that the Pacers will be a good close game team this season.
0: Yeah. To be honest, I don't mind that's a bonus look. I mean, that's that's the shot I would
1: I liked it more than the consensus on the internet, too.
0: Yeah, to me. So, like, you made a case, certainly, do you try to get Brogdon a shot? I mean, that obviously, but uh, it seemed like they were, that the Horns were kind of over, uh, they're over committing to Brogdon because they kind of thought the ball was going to go to him. You're also without Warren and Levert. That's like two extremely good weapons at any time. So, basically, it was either going to go to Brogdon as a bonus. So, like, you didn't have a, a, as much options to Jarsenal. Jar- so, I, I, I didn't mind that. Um, the other fourth quarter thing, though, I found kind of, I don't know if it's odd. I don't know really what they're to make of it, but they basically didn't play Turner at the end of the game, Then they brought him cold. The defensive position wasn't his fault in the foul. He actually made the block if they didn't call the foul. Yep. I don't know. I don't necessarily always like bringing the guy cold in off the bench. I get why they did sort of, but uh I mean, did you... I like I said, I don't really have an opinion on it. Did you like or didn't like them not playing Turner in that fourth quarter, really?
1: Uh didn't like because Jeremy Lamb was in, right? You definitely rather have Turner than Lamb in, to me, down the stretch with how so, Lam was playing
0: in this game. But did you think in that third quarter, part of their issue was the fact that the Hornets kind of went smaller and destroyed that bigger lineup? Because I thought that was kind of maybe what Carl was reacting to, at least.
1: No, not really. I mean, he's, he said he took out Turner for fouls in the third, which I think he only finished with four. So maybe he was a little too conservative with that decision, but... Um, no, I, I th- again, I thought the third quarter was just, they went away from what was working and maybe that is again, because of the lineup they had in, like you just said. So
0: yeah, I don't want to dismiss. I mean, I that. don't know. I was just kind of thinking about it when I, when I. I, mean, I think don't,
1: that, just specifically about the end though. I mean, I don't get why Jeremy Lamb was in at all. He wasn't even the guy taking that many shots, right? Like, so, but okay. Yeah. Let's, going through the last two minutes. Okay. Lamb takes the first shot hilariously, but then Sabonis takes a shot. Brogdon takes a shot. Craig takes a shot. Uh, Brogdon so, takes a shot. Craig gets fouled, right? Like, they're not even going to him, and his defense isn't good enough for him to be out there. To me, I, d- I don't get it.
0: I so get I don't know that. if this was asked, but I wonder if some of it is Jeremy Lamb with his ankle injuries, maybe semi on a minutes, like don't want to push it too hard because he ended up playing twenty six minutes, which is probably what you want of a guy who's got a kind of that is sore certainly ankle. possible, that is right? Because I think in most of you
1: said, said pre- Lamb. By the way, he meant Justin Holiday. I
0: meant Justin Holiday. Thank you, yes. thank you. Yes, that's what I meant. Because um, I think normally that's who I. If you're not going to go with the the. Uh, that's your bonus pairing. My guess is you would close with Holiday in that situation, just I because agree. he's a little better defender, maybe a lot better, and, ha- and has a track record of being a better three point shooter. He wasn't that better three point tonight for the Pacers, but has a track record of being a guy who hit an open three at a, like a you know a pretty good clip. Well, so I wonder if that was part of it. I mean, the we have to remember the Pacers, like I said, were like are severely down. Like they're they're down two starters. They're they're six man just just came back after a pretty. Iffy ankle injury that we don't know like how healed it really is. We're just kind of playing through it. So I mean,
1: seventh from a wrist injury too. And he was one yeah. for nine.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you know, you have that, and then I'm not sure how much they feel. They can trust, you know, like as they actually play in a game yet. go, go, they clearly don't trust yet. Um, so I mean, it's just like they didn't quite have all the weapons that it this would have been yep. a nice win to get because I don't think New Orleans played that pretty well either, except for that third quarter. Uh, Charlotte, so, uh, yes. Charlotte, oh, my God, wow, all <laughs> over the place right now. <laughs> you know, it's the end of the podcast and towards the end of the night. Uh I don't think they played that that well, so it would be nice to this win. But I think when we look back at it, you probably chalk it up to a lot of those reasons. If they end up with a decent record, like, oh, that first game was just X, Y, and Z led to it, frankly.
1: Yeah, I have two things to respond to what you just said, and then I'm kind of out of thoughts from the game in terms of overreactions. But to your point about the closing five and, and maybe having Justin out there, like, the way this game was going... And who was playing well? Duarte, Brogdon, and Sabonis are locks to be in the closing five, right? Like, duh. Those are three choices. They scored and Tory 88 the teams, and
0: 122 points. They scored like two-thirds of all points. Of course, right, they're going right. to be in the game.
1: And then Craig was playing awesome defense and making good decisions yep. on offense. So he seems like the obvious fourth in a one-possession game because you, you can have him in on both ends and go, yes, you're giving us positive contributions. So who's the fifth guy that makes the most sense around that group? Out of put Holiday and Turner. For different reasons yeah. over Lamb in that situation. So maybe McConnell? The, no. Uh I don't know. McConnell was just kind of eh. Yeah, he was kinda eh in this game. Well he always, you know, this, this happened uh his first year with the Pacers and then under Bjorkren. It takes him like uh, two or three games to really get the system and timing down. And then he really takes off. You know, I actually talked to him about that two years ago and I did a story on him. So uh, he's not a slow starter like he's very dedicated to playing well but it's possible that it takes McConnell a few games to really look like the guy that we're like, oh yeah, there, there's that little pest. <laughs> um, and the other thing you said that I want to talk about is like, I actually think that it, this isn't like a big deal. It's one loss. No one loss is ever a big deal. But I, I am a little more of a guy who's like, every game is important to some extent than most people. I know it's just one regular season game, but given how hard the start of the Pacers schedule is and you know, they've got a back-to-back coming up, like, like we were joking that, that they could struggle for their first really seven games before they play San Antonio. Like getting this win would have been really nice. So it's not like, again, this, the situation, it's not like unexpected or demoralizing or anything. I think the Vegas line was even like, okay, that was an even game, but you would really have liked to win this game as the Pacers given their schedule and their situation. And then to just blow a huge lead. It's just, it's really tough for, for what they're going to have to deal with going forward.
0: I am the one who, uh, at the end of our show, maybe on a hot mic said, oh, they might go 0-9 to start the season. So maybe I should overreact to They need to win. <laughs> um, I think the one thing that's made me feel a little the start of the season is one, I don't think Toronto's as good as I thought they were. Um, I think I was kind of reacting to a previous Toronto, like, you know, concept of Toronto. Uh, kind of like, or you know, maybe
1: we'll now. find out Friday that the Wizards are better than we think they are.
0: Yeah, that else could be. But like, my thought is like in the next, what, between now, the next, what, the first eight games or whatever, I think Washington's winnable, both Toronto's and San Antonio are. So like they could end up coming down here like let's say three and three and five of the year three and six I don't know what, how many games it is in total but like so I, I'm not as concerned um, it seems no like, concern
1: no concern I don't even use that word okay, just fair.
0: would have been a nice would have been a nice win yes. to
1: get given their situation to start the season
0: yes it would have been a nice win to get especially if they had managed to like because they played so well in that first half. Where then, if they win the game, you don't. You talk about the third quarter a little bit, but it kind of you gloss over it more. So it yeah, you like, forget haunt about you. it completely. It, it haunts, doesn't haunt you as much as like it will kind of. If this team keeps doing this consistently, losing games this way, it will haunt them, right? Where if they just got this win and then right. they had a cup, you know. So we'll we'll see how Carlisle adjusts to that third quarter pick, because that that will be the biggest thing. Is how does he find like when they need a bailout shot? Who do they go to? Where do they do? Or does he realize it's happening faster and try to get a timeout? Or or whatever. He did. But,
1: uh, he, he took a timeout after three took, Hornets makes, and then it still kept going. You know, well, it's know, But it,
0: like on the pace of Brock, it's something he likes to do. If a team makes three straight shots, like nice get get a timeout Ten, right away.
1: I have one more overreaction. Okay. It's a stupid overreaction. I'm just mad at... I need to get off the internet during basketball games. No matter when a coach calls a timeout, it was the wrong time to do it. That That's what I've learned from oh, fans man. of basketball teams on the internet.
0: I will say... Tory Craig's timeout when he's falling out of bounds. Carlo, you could see Carl's reaction, and he was like, kind of like, you did not need to do that. It was like with t- ten seconds left and a half. I think he was yeah. like trying to save his timeouts. Like, oh, like Craig got a rebound, fell to the ground, like was clearly going to get called there for travel or get a jump ball and something like that, and he called a timeout, and Carlo goes. Could, like, his I think Carlisle
1: thing. actually still had that on his mind after the game because in the media session he brought up how many timeouts he had left in the second half when he was talking about the third quarter run. So, oh, interesting. I, I wonder if he was like, ah, oh, you know, timeouts are the one thing I can control. Tori. come on, man. You know, I, I get <laughs> well, why Craig did I in, get not what Craig
0: that. was doing it. Yeah, I get why. Yeah, he's I, agree, doing it. yeah I
1: agree. But I, I think I think he <laughs> was funny.
0: like
1: maybe just put turn put over that the together ball there. Until you just said that.
0: Yeah, maybe just turn over the ball and you know move on. Like, it's kind of like, <laughs> the time that was worth more than that. We're no, up by but
1: twenty. There's ten seconds left. Just just chill.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. yeah. I guess the other thing is, um, I don't. And I could be wrong. They, have they changed the NBA's challenge rules again?
1: Yeah, the for. I forget what it is for like out of bounds at the end of games or something. I don't remember. I think so you can like challenge you, something different, but I don't challenge- care about those rules because they're just too confusing for me. I know, but can
0: you challenge a foul at the end of the game or what's the rule? By that? Oh, I don't know.
1: Neither team did, which
0: I thought right. was interesting. Well, I thought the Pacers would just maybe throw it against the wall with the four seconds left because why Yeah, why, why not? Right Again, I
1: thought Borrego would when Tory Craig got
0: I right. know. So that's what I was trying to – I'm like, did they change the rules again on me that I don't remember now because <laughs> 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 it feels like every year that – This different.
1: podcast but, has just been us going, oh, one more thing for like – 12 yeah. minutes now <laughs> no but
0: that that was my last thing i just didn't know if the challenge rules for this game or not but uh okay i think that's all the reactions I, I have i'm out of
1: things i guess i just take my to broadly sum up this game like a lot of guys played a lot like they did last year but maybe a like a small margin of error better or worse and and you'd expect a little bit more from the pacers this year so i i thought they would they would be better in that third quarter it just really changes your perception of this team so we will see how they respond on friday
0: Yes, we will. Um, as always, you can follow this podcast at Locked On Pacers on Twitter. You can get us on YouTube now Locked On Pacers. Uh, if you're new to this show, because you might be catching this for the first time because it's season opener, I know that happens. Uh, we do this show five days a week. Usually, what happens is we do a weekly show, turn it together, and then we kind of mix and match the week show based on game previews, post games, other stuff. So you can check out that on this feed. We'll have games, basically five podcasts a week through the whole season, occasionally holiday, whatnot, right? We're, we're we're not, we're not crazy, but you do take seven days off. But So check that out. You can get it as a podcast on YouTube or wherever. You can follow Tony at TSMBA and read him at Forbes.com and, and in the West Side Indianapolis News. You can follow me on Twitter if you're 5. That is all for his Locked on Pacers podcast. And We'll see you guys again tomorrow.